0: Father God, we come to you uh, in humility to your word. We thank you that it is holy and that you are righteous and it is true because you have spoken it and you have given it to us for all eternity. The grass withers, the flower fades, but your word stands forever. And Father, I ask you right now that you move upon us in our hearts with humility to bring ourselves up under your word, to hear what you would have for us to hear today let us let it be seed for the sower. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen and amen. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. I'm going to paint a little quick story for you, if I could, using the scripture. The Bible says, then the Lord formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And then in Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Now, we've been in, in this series on our blessed hope for a couple of weeks now, our hope in heaven. We have an assurance in Jesus Christ that we will one day rule with Him in a place of unspeakable glory. We have assurances in the Scripture, uh, in Jesus Christ, that we will reign with Him in a place where our joy will explode into praises and worship for our God and King, and He will lavish upon us pleasures, untold pleasures. Our minds will be captured by the wonder of His glory for all eternity. Our eyes will be fixed with delight on His face. Y'all know that song, is a pretty recent song, Oh Praise the Name. I love the last verse of that song. He shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night. and, And I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Imagine that church, the whole world is in chaos because the sky has split open and Jesus is riding in on his white horse. The armies of heaven are behind him and people are raising from the dead. The the dead are walking and and Jesus is in the air and we're being caught up together with him and you can't look at anything else but the glory of his face. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land, what a glorious day that will be. And we're promised that in Scripture. We're promised that He will return and that we will be caught up with Him to be in glory. We are told that we will reign with Him forever in the new heaven and the new earth and that it will be a wonderful, joyous, joy-filled, pleasures forevermore experience at the sight of God. Last week, we, I told you that heaven is not our default destination, if you recall. Without a, a course correction from Jesus Christ, we are all headed to a very terrible, very real, very literal, very eternal place of torment called hell. Amen. Amen. We must have Christ and faith in Jesus Christ to avoid this horrible place. Hell is real and it is literal and and it is just like heaven in those regards. Heaven is real. It is a literal place where we will go. Hell is real. It is a literal place that we're headed to absent Jesus Christ and faith in His his work on the cross. Real physical torment, not figurative, not temporary, no relief, never-ending darkness, decay, pain, and suffering is what awaits us outside of Jesus Christ. But I'm not afraid of hell. And neither should you be. I'm not even afraid of death. And neither should you be. You shouldn't be afraid of either of those things. If your hope is in Jesus Christ, you have no reason to worry or to be afraid or have anxiety over it. I told you before that fear is not a very good motivator anyway. I mean, sure, it's a powerful motivator. You can get things done through fear. Don't get me wrong. Lots of people have gotten a lot of things done through fear. You can get someone to be afraid of you. You can get them to do your bidding, and they'll do it out of fear. Fear for their own well-being. Fear for the well-being of others that they love. Fear for their lives. Fear for their comfort. People will do things out of fear. But it's, it's just it's a powerful motivator, but it's just not a great motivator. It doesn't stand up next to, say... Oh, I don't know, just a little bit of hope. Just a little bit of hope. As strong as fear can be, it cripples under the weight of a little bit of hope. A little bit of hope. It's weak in the presence of just a little bit of hope. You know, you give someone a spark of hope and you'll see them overcome all kinds of fear. You give someone a tiny bit of hope and they will stare obstacles down. You give someone a little bit of hope and they will move mountains out of the way. A little bit of hope will move mountains of fear. Just a little bit of hope. you will summon bravery. It will summon a tenacity and a strength like you never knew that you had. Just a little bit of hope. Just a little bit of light in your dark world. A little bit of hope and I can keep pressing on. Amen. Just a little bit of hope. As long as I have a little bit of hope, I can make it. As long as I have a little bit of hope, I can endure With just a little bit of hope, fear loses its power over me. And I'm here to tell you, church, that even though my faith may look small, it it may look like a a grain of mustard seed, my faith is in a very big hope. My little faith is in a big hope. A big, big God who gives me a big, big hope. Wow, church, what a blessed hope that we have. Just a little hope. Fear loses its power. I have a big hope. Not a wish, not a dream. It's a secure hope that is bedrock, solid, firm, unshakable, immovable, blessed hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, with just a little bit of hope, I can survive. But with big hope, with blessed hope, I can fight. With just a little bit of hope, I can endure. But with blessed hope, I can conquer. I don't need. I don't. I don't need a little bit of hope. I got all the. I mean, I've got big hope, big hope in Jesus. Amen. That's why Paul said these things. These three remain: faith, hope, and love. I can do all things for Jesus Christ. You can't kill hope. My faith and my eye is fixed on the prize of the high calling of God. I've told you before that the root of hope is joy and the, and the promise of joy. And joy is what fuels hope. Increased joy, the expect, expectation of, of better things and better times and joyful times and, and relief from the, whatever the present struggle is, that fuels our hope and gives fire to that flame. Amen. Redeemed Christians... Christians who have been blood-bought, born-again, regenerated Christians, they have so much reason for hope. Yes, sir. Amen. With all the language the Bible gives us about what we have to hope for, there remains a lot of confusion among believers about what that hope should be. What happens to us when, when we die? You know, if I have good hope, you, you, may, you may knock me out. You may knock me down, but you're not going to knock me out. That's it. You may catch me off guard, but you're not going to put me off course because I'm fixed. My hope is set. There's a a light in the distance. I can see it at the end. There's a light at the end of this tunnel, and that's where I'm headed. My hope is set. But With all the hope we have, we we get confused about what happens when we die. And and, and it's appropriate that we discuss this in this this topic when we're talking about heaven and our, our blessed hope. You know, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, he said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So he's saying, I I want you to know, and and you should know, so that you won't be sorrowful like those who don't have any hope. You have hope. I want you to know what happens to everybody when we die. And what awaits those who have already died? So that you will not be defeated in sorrow, but instead you will have the hope of joy. You know, church, death is not the end. Death is not the end. I have as my goal today to show you three things in the scriptures about what happens to us when we die. It's been long debated. Uh, The fact is we don't have all the answers, but we do have enough of the answers that we ought not to be overcome with any kind of fear or anxiety that might make us lose hope because we have what we need to give us hope and have hope in the promises that have been given. So number one, I want to show you that when we die, we do not simply cease to exist and neither do we go to sleep or remain unaware of the passage of time or the events happening on earth. Number two, the place that we go, we'll call it the present heaven, is not our final destination. It is an intermediate place. The in-between, the present heaven and the present earth and the eternal heaven and the eternal earth. And finally, this place that we go is both spiritual and physical. And it's a preview of what the eternal heaven and the eternal earth will be like. So let's look at these in order. Number one, uh, we stay awake when we die. Remember in Genesis 2, God made man from the dust and He put spirit in him. The pneuma, that's the breath of God. He breathed the life into them. And the two together, the flesh from the dust and the spirit from God, these two together made a living soul. So you as a human being exist as a creation that is both physical and spiritual. We're a tether between two different realities. Every, all that comes comes to play in here. We are both physical and spiritual beings. And then in Ecclesiastes 12 and 7, we see that upon death, the dust, that's the the flesh, returns to the earth and the spirit returns to God who gave it. That's the picture from from the first breath to the last breath in this life on this earth. But what happens after the last breath? The Bible says that the body decays and, and we can verify that very easily. You know, we've got plenty of bodies and plenty of graves that have been dead long enough We can look at them and examine them and see that the body does decay and that in the process of biological decay given long enough, it it effectively returns to the dust. We can see that. We We can test that we can verify that physically because that is a physical reality. The spirit is a spiritual reality. What happens to the Spirit is a little more difficult to prove because we, we live in a, a physical existence, in a physical world where the spiritual world has been veiled or, or hidden from our sight. If you remember in, in the Bible, the prophet had to pray that his servant, would his eyes would be open so he could see the armies of heaven and camp round about them. He couldn't see in the Spirit. And God had to open his eyes so he could see in the Spirit. It is hidden from us absent a work of grace from the Lord. So we have to look to the Scriptures for matters of the Spirit. Well, there are two schools of thought here. What happens to us when we die? And both of these schools of thought, they can be coherently argued from the Scripture. So I'm not, I'm not saying that if you believe one way, then, then you're dead wrong. Or if you believe another way, that, that that's, that's, you're all right. And these are not salvation issues either. So if you, if you believe one way on this and I believe another, it should not divide us as a family in Christ. You can be just as saved as I am if you disagree with me here on this, on this point that I'm about to make. I just want to give you two of the arguments and tell you where I stand, and you can decide for yourself. Okay? I believe it's important that you decide, though. Paul said, I would not have you ignorant, because with ignorance, you are without, like those who have no hope. Amen. And without hope, you cannot stand. Fear will overcome you. You, it is important that you do make a decision about about it, because if the afterlife is some ambiguous and, and nebulous uncertainty for you, then that is not a strong basis for you, and you need a sure and solid basis in order to have hope that endures. So the first thing, the first position uh, that, that uh, we're going to look at is what's called soul sleep. Anyone ever heard of that, soul sleep? All right, it's pretty wide uh, popular opinion, and so... What this says is that when we die, we simply go to sleep. We lose consciousness. Well, the soul is separated from the body and the soul is basically paused until Christ returns and we're all given new glorified physical bodies in the, in the, the final resurrection, soul sleep. Now, those who hold this belief, they point to Scripture, such as Psalms 6 and 5, where he says, For in death there is no remembrance of thee, talking about God, in the grave who shall give thee thanks? In death there is no remembrance of you, O Lord, and in the grave who can give you thanks, O Lord? Ecclesiastes 9 and 10 says, Whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. So they they look to these kinds of passages to say that when the body dies, when the soul is separated from the body, you just stop being. God just divinely pauses you until that final day when your body and your soul are reunited in glory with a new body and, and in the final resurrection. They also say that no one ever told about their death experience in Scripture. You know, we have examples in the Old Testament and in the New Testament of people being raised from the dead and no one ever talked about their experience while they were dead. In the, that we have record of in, in the Old Testament or the New Testament. So they look to that and they say, well, if that's the case and no one ever testified, it's because they didn't have anything to testify about. That's the argument. And so they say that we are paused when we, when we die. And, and some people find comfort in that because, I don't know, I, I don't like it. So I'm going to tell you why I, don't, why I don't accept that, okay? I don't believe that the Scripture teaches that we lose our consciousness when we die. But there is language in Scripture to suggest that. I, I don't deny that. And you can make a coherent argument for that. But I don't, I don't, I don't fall on that side of it. We have to look at the passages in the Bible in relation to the whole counsel of God. You can't take one passage here and a passage here and build a whole theology on it. I've told you you cannot read Scripture in a vacuum, so we have to look at the whole counsel of God. And as we discussed a few weeks ago, the Bible is true and without error, so it it cannot contradict itself. And where we see areas where there are apparent contradictions, if we apply more context, if we have better study, if we have a deeper revelation, then we will see that they do not contradict at all. A little more knowledge, a little fuller view of the scriptures will reconcile any apparent contradiction that we may see. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.8. He says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Amen. Look at his language, absent from the body. That is, that's death. The spirit is absent from the body and the body has gone to sleep, quotation fingers. This is the language of appearance dead person appears to be sleeping. Jesus, when he was talking about Lazarus to his disciples, he told them, remember when Lazarus died, he told them he's sleeping and that confused them and then he said, Lazarus is dead. It's the appearance of sleeping. So if you're absent from somewhere, like Paul says, to be absent from the body, then you are present elsewhere. And this is what Paul says when he follows up, I would rather be absent from the body, comma, and to be present with the Lord. Absent here, present there. Amen. Absent here, present there. Not I would rather be absent here and then unconscious for hundreds, even thousands of years until Christ returns again and I can finally be with him. But he said I would rather be absent from here now and present now with the Lord. I'm not just trying to spin the words of Paul to fit my point either. Look at what he says in Philippians 1.21. Philippians 1.21. He says, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Living is Christ. Living is building His kingdom. Living is reaching the lost. Living is displaying His glory to the world. Living is worship. Living is sacrifice. Living is Christ. But to die, to die is gain. It's it's better. It's it's more. It's fuller. But, he says, if I live in the flesh... This is the fruit of my labor. He's talking about the the work he's done and the the souls that he's saved. How in the world could Paul say that death is gain if he understood that death was just unconsciousness, a non-existence, and an undetermined amount of time until Christ comes again? How could he say that it is better? Yet what shall I choose I don't want? I want not. In other words, I don't know what I want to choose. Living, which is Christ, or death, which is gain. Verse 23, for I am in a strait. That means I'm torn betwixt two. Having a desire to part and to be with Christ, which is far better. Departing and being with Christ, which is far better. Paul clearly understands and he expects that the moment of his death in this life, he will depart and that his spirit will depart to be with Christ. Christ. Now, you remember Jesus, he told the thief on the cross, he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. A clear indication that when we die, we continue in a conscious state after death. Our spirit continues, our body is asleep. It is dead, it will decay. Point number two I got to move quickly. The place we go is not our final home, it is a temporary place. Revelation twenty-one, one. John writes and he says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first, listen to this, the first heaven, the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no more sea. Heaven and earth gone, there's a new heaven and a new earth. New heaven, new earth, because the first heaven and the first earth have passed. Whatever it is that we go to right now when we die, wherever that, that place is, whatever that place is, where God sits on His throne now, all of it will be remade, recreated, new. So when we think of grandma up in heaven we might, and what we might imagine that it's like, just understand that even that isn't the final destination. God will remake all of it. We will all receive glorified bodies. We will all be given a new heaven and a new earth to rule. We'll, we'll talk more about what that new heaven, that new earth is like in the, in the coming weeks. Oh, And it's a grand and glorious truth about what that is. I just want you to understand that, that in death right now, when we pass from this life into the next, there is still more to come after that. And, and we'll join all the saints before us that have gone before us and all of creation as we await either the, the, the anticipation of the day of Christ, we await that, and when He makes all things new. We're going to await that with all of creation. The Bible says that creation groans for the resurrection. The final, all of creation groans, and that's significant that it says that. Do you not realize how far-reaching the resurrection is, the final resurrection? It's not just us and our bodies. God will recreate everything. Creation groans to be recreated, brand new, and we'll all be brand new in a brand new world. What a glorious truth. It is both physical and spiritual. My final point, this place that we go, we're not disembodied spirits or, or ghosts floating around in some ethereal, not touchable place. There is, there is feeling, there, is some, there are physical aspects to this place that we're going. The intermediate heaven is both physical and it is spiritual. It stands to reason that if we go to an intermediate place to await the resurrection before our final bodies, uh, we receive our final glorified bodies, that God would give us intermediate bodies, those who have gone before, those who die today before the final resurrection. We go to a place that is both spiritual and physical, and in order to do that, we must have a form that is both spiritual and physical. Probably the most vivid insight that that we get into what happens after death is given to us by Jesus himself when he tells the story about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. So I'm going to read parts of it uh, and just kind of we'll work through it here. Luke 16 verse 19, he begins the story and he says, There was a rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and the desiring, or desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels, those are messengers of God, into Abraham's bosom. Now, Je- Jesus is just telling a parable here. This is just a story. He's just trying to illustrate what it might be like what he's trying to tell us the, the, the value of doing good in this life and treating the poor well in this life. That's fine if you want to think that, but that is, I'm telling you, Jesus is telling an actual story. It's not a parable, it is a reality. Amen. Why can I say that? Because he names the guy in it. Yeah. He never names anybody else in his stories. Here he, named, he knows this man Lazarus. It's not the one he raised from the dead that was in the tomb. It's a different man. Lazarus was a common name. He knows this man, Lazarus. He knows that he died and went to heaven. He knows this rich man that he died and went to hell. As soon as he died, he was judged in the judgment of faith. And Jesus is saying, this is what happened. Amen. So what happened? He go, Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. Now, this is not a, the name of the place. Abraham is the proper name, not Abraham's bosom. So this is, he goes to paradise. This is the intermediate heaven. The rich man also died. Verse 23, And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Do unconscious people cry out for thirst? Do spirits need to drink water? Look at the language he uses. It's very physical terms. Send Lazarus to dip his finger. Lazarus has a finger. In the water, there's water. Do spirits need to drink water? That he might quench my tongue. Do spirits have tongues? So he's got a tongue, the rich man does. Dip his finger in the water, touch it to my tongue to relieve me of this heat from the fire. He can feel the heat. From the, Do spirits feel heat? You have to have physical forms to enjoy water. You have to have a physical form to feel heat. You have to have physical form to have a finger to dip into water, to touch it on the tongue. You have a physical form. We cannot experience thirst without a body. We can't be tormented by heat without a body. And we know from the request, from the, the, the conversation, we know further that, that both the rich man and Lazarus and Abraham retained their identities after they died. In this intermediate state where where they're in a both physical and spiritual realm, after their physical body here on earth has died, they retain who they are. They are very conscious, very aware of what's going on on the other side, and they're aware of what's happening here. Get down to verse 27. The rich man says, I pray thee therefore, Father Abraham, that thou would send him, that's Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he might testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So after death, we remember those here. where We, we, we are aware of their situations. Amen. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let him hear them. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, not paused, send him from the dead. Send Lazarus now, the man that I see before me now. From the dead to talk to them. And, and Abraham said, you know, they've got the prophets and so they won't listen to Moses and they won't listen to someone, though he'd be raised from the dead. You won't read the Bible. From the dead. From the dead. Not unconscious, not unaware, but very much aware, just veiled from this world. This is, uh, just to head off any kind of confusion here, I want to uh, make it clear, this is not the Catholic idea of purgatory. Okay, and that, that idea is says that we all when we die as spirits we, we go to a place of suffering where we, we make penance, we pay for the sins that we committed in this world. And that is not scriptural at all. Christ was the final sacrifice. He paid it all. It is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone that I am saved, not by any suffering on my part, not any works that I do on my part, on His sacrifice and His suffering alone. Am I raised? Am I saved? It is Jesus plus absolutely nothing, not Jesus plus my suffering. So this is not that. This is not that idea that we go to some place and we start to pay for the sins that we've committed. Not that at all. The righteous are judged at death. The wicked are judged at death based on their faith. Righteous people go to be with the Lord. The wicked go to hell. That is a difficult reality. That's why I cannot stand to preach funerals. It just it bothers me. Especially for people I don't know. Because I don't know. Amen. And you have to get up there and offer comfort. Yes, and, 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 and ultimately, we're looking at someone who has died. And I don't want to say this person who's died, who I don't know, who may have been a godless man, is walking on streets to go. Bless the Lord. You can be, I don't want to tell them that because it may not be true. Amen. Amen. I don't know how he lived. Amen. And it's wrong of me to do that. This, that's scary stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be afraid of it because I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going, but no one wants to hear the truth that absent a, a work of faith in Jesus Christ, you are not going to make heaven your home. And when you die, it will be bad for you. Amen. Very, not just for a little bit, but forever. The present heaven is not some kind of in-between state of punishment that we can pay for the sins we've committed in this life and then gain admittance into heaven. Once, once you take your last breath here, that's it. If you didn't have faith in Christ, you're done. That's why it's urgent. That's why we ought to all, even for those of us who have come to faith in Christ, ought to have an urgency for those who have not come to faith in Christ. It is a life or death matter. Amen. Amen. If your hope is secured in Christ, you will be judged as righteous. If not, you'll be judged as wicked. Faith in Jesus Christ alone saves you. We all await our final resurrection, our final judgment of works the wicked will be cast into outer darkness. And the righteous will inherit heaven and earth forever. So when we die, we retain consciousness in a, a physical place. Either in, in the present heaven or the present hell. And that's not the end of it. Because there will be a final judgment and a final reckoning. And then it will be eternity in, in an even better place. Or an even worse place. And we'll look at what that better place is. I don't want to spend all my time dwelling on on hell. I want to spend it looking at my blessed hope in heaven. So we'll we'll explore some of that next week. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Uh, I pray that it is light and life to us. And that we do have hope in Jesus Christ. For a secure future. A secure hope. You know the thoughts you have for us. And they are thoughts to prosper us and do good for us. And you have done good for us in Jesus Christ. Help us all to see that, Lord. We love you. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.